What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another Inking Out Loud podcast episode. I am your host, as always, Rob Santos. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today for, I'm not sure what episode this is. Uh, I know what we're doing for this episode because I'm actually pretty stoked for it. Today for this episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast, Drew and I are continuing on through our journey into Gene Wolfe's notorious book of the new (laughs) sun. We are reading chapters four through eight today of Shadow of the Torturer. Um, I have a lot of questions. I have even more impressions. I don't have any notes ready, so this should be a lot of fun. How about we start as we always do? Drew, would you care to give us a recap of what we've read, please? Sounds good. So in these chapters of The Shadow of the Torturer, Severian meets several new people and grows in his role among the torturers. First, he finds an injured dog and nurses it back to health. Along the way, meeting a mysterious young girl named Valeria in a place called the Atrium of Time. Months later, after the winter has passed, Severian is raised to Captain of the Apprentices after... His older friends Roche and Drott are promoted to journeymen. With new duties on his plate, Severian is sent to the Master of the Curators to procure some books for a new client of the Torturers, the Chatelaine Thecla. Severian meets Thecla when he brings the books back to the Matchin Tower, and she in turn requests that he provide her company during her imprisonment. Due to politics in the court of the Autark, Master Gerlos is compelled to acquiesce to her wishes, but he warns Severian not to sleep with her, no matter what she asks. To help head off this eventuality, Gerlos arranges for Roche to take Severian out into the city of Nessus and find a suitable prostitute to take Severian's virginity. Hey, Mr. Hormone-ridden, what, 16, 17-year-old? Make sure you don't (laughs) sleep with the totally super hot woman who is absolutely going to be throwing herself at you. Yeah, because, you know, that always (laughs) goes well in fantasy, doesn't it, Drew? Yeah, yeah. And no mention of Triskel. Uh, uh, so <laughs> we're we're gonna start we're gonna start off with uh, you pronounce it Triskel. No, no, I heard you pronounce it Triskel last time. I was gonna say Triskele, like mm, like a Finnish word. I did. I specifically did not mention his name last time. You totally did. After um, that, I'm ninety nine percent sure because I was like so, Triskel. That's weird. I I pronounce it Triskely. The first time I read through this. Ah. Uh, however, um, I have been reliably informed by a listener of the audiobooks that it is pronounced tricycle. Hold on, say that again. I'm going to make sure I didn't mishear you. Tricycle. Oh, tricycle. Okay. Because it's a three-legged dog. Oh my god. Go <laughs> to hell. Go promptly, directly <laughs> to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. No way. I'm not doing that. I refuse to do that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I yeah. <laughs> Before we continue, Drew. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, we got off on a minor technical tangent there. Uh, really quickly. Sorry, you were saying something, and yeah. I completely cut you off there. What was that? Uh, so the pronunciation of this that's dog's right, name. That's right. That's right. Uh, that I refuse to participate in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. Like, like I like tricycle because I think it's hilarious. But, uh, but I I really don't. You know. I'm just gonna stick to my guns and st- and keep pronouncing it Triskele. Not like I did the first, but Triskele, because that sounds like a Finnish word, which is Pirkele, and that's something completely different. But it's spelled very similarly, and that's how I'm gonna stick to it. And if you hate me, come at me. Actually, seriously, come at me because I, you may actually change my mind. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go with Triskelly. But yeah, this poor dog, dude. I was like, oh. And then it didn't, I thought we were learning, we were meeting a lifelong companion, another bad the dog, for lack of a better word, for anyone who's read The 10,000 Doors of January. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. Highly recommend. Um, no, no, it was, it was kind of over with. And I'm happy that Triskelly apparently found a, a suitable owner, or at least that's what it appears. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no more Triskelly. And and so you you bring up the fact that it feels like it's going to be something momentous, yeah. and that this is going to be a companion for our main character. But then it's like over and done with within a couple of pages, and it's easy to forget by the end of the chapter, even though it's a short chapter, that it starts off with Severian saying, "There are encounters that change nothing." Oh, that is I didn't even notice that. Yeah, the second paragraph of chapter four is there are encounters that change nothing. Earth turns her aged face to the sun, and he beams upon her snows. They scintillate and coruscate until each little point of ice hanging from the swelling sides of the towers seems the claw of the conciliator, Ah. the most precious of gems. Then everyone except the wisest believes that the snow must melt and give way to a protracted summer beyond summer. Nothing of the sort occurs. The paradise endures for a watch or two, then shadows blue as watered milk lengthen on the snow, which shifts and dances under the spur of an east wind. Night comes, and all is as it was. My finding Triskelly was like that. Hmm. And that's that's why I ended up thinking, you know, this is going to be a big character. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because by the end of it, it had been such a long, flowing, heartfelt obviously painstakingly wrought paragraph that I figured, okay, our, our character, I think it's some instinctual part of my habits of, as a reader. I'm thinking, okay, we're taking time to introduce this and caringly doing it. This must be someone important. It's just, but you, I'm not stopping to analyze what is actually being said. This is something that my own expectation is leading me to. So it's, it's, it, there's that mm-hmm. dissonance there, that cognitive dissonance. That's a, that's very enjoyable. Um, for some people, I can see them being thrown off by that. I loved it. Yeah, and uh, I loved it too. Uh, it and so this is my, yeah. my kind of first big style point, um, kind of in story structure here. Uh, it's easy to read this book. I, I can't remember if I brought this up last episode or not, uh, but it's easy to go into this book, starting it off with a young boy and and expecting to read a coming-of-age story. You know, the the sort of adventure that many people have come to expect from fantasy. And while there is some of that, I mean, how, how much of the early chapters of this book are dominated by repeated references to Severian becoming a man? Oh my God. I have like four more today to get to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so there is a coming of age theme to this, but it doesn't follow the same structure. Like it teases the familiar but veers away with uh, like there's an awareness to what Wolf is doing where he, he says, this is, I'm going to give you something that feels familiar and then I'm going to twist it. So you find yourself awkward in the narrative. You, you find yourself grasping at something tenuous that may or may not be there. Mm. He's, he's messing with your expectations as a reader. And that's, that's, something he loves to do as, as we continue reading through this, yeah, uh, he's going to play with readers expectations. Yeah. And this is, this is the kind of book that, uh, 
when you're breaking down the writing of it, it's a lot richer if you're well read beforehand because you'll recognize the way Wolf plays with standard tropes and, and narrative structures and then turns them into something different. This, this is definitely something I find myself struggling with a lot as a amateur, really amateur, really amateur writer is that <laughs> I'll get so lost in something I'm crafting and I'll think I crafted something amazing. But the mark of a great writer, someone like Gene Wolfe, is someone I, I believe, I'm just speaking out of my ass here, I believe the mark of a great writer is somebody who can also in the moment detach themselves enough to read it with a reader's eyes and not with a writer's eyes, you know? And this is just one more, one more uh, tip of the hat to Gene Wolfe that I'm giving because he knows exactly what the reader is expecting. And it's only because he knows exactly where the reader is in their head that he's able to deftly twist it in this subtle way. It's not obnoxious. It's not a slap in the face. Like something we'd get expect from Brandon Sanderson. It's very subtle. Yeah, and because yeah. of its subtlety, it's all the more effective if you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Like I, this would have gone completely over my head, something like this, three years ago before we started the podcast. Fuck it, two years ago. You know, I was. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is something that I only am am starting to these these nuances are something that I'm only starting to hear because of the podcast and because of my friendship with Drew McCaffrey, and I'm loving it because of that. It's just oh, finding these things are, is is great. And you made reference before to this sentiment of this coming of age story as it's presented by our narrator Severian. I mean, uh, I had been a man if I was truly a man such a short time. I picked up on that right away. And then a few Mm -hmm. paragraphs later, he's saying, I hold up my hands and tried to look at them. I knew the veins stood out on their backs now. It is when those veins stand out that one is a man. I'm just, I'm lost at this point going, how many different definitions of what is a man are we going to get from you, Severian? He's starting to get on my nerves already, but this, it's a very character true feeling. So, I mean, I realized I completely derailed what you were talking about there, but I was so sorry no, about it. it. It plays into this into this theme. Uh, the The repetition of it, the sheer number of times that Severian talks about becoming a man, and uh, and the occasional references to where he betrays that he may not really think that he's a man yet. It it all just goes to show that he is not confident that he's struggling with this stage of his mm-hmm. life. I mean, you, you look at the way he acts immediately upon being uh, uh, elevated to captain of the apprentices. And he like literally beats up a bunch of uh, people because yeah. he's so insecure in his power. He's like, I, I can't mess this up. I have to beat them into submission, you know? And so we, when we look at this in, in terms of the kind of standard coming of age story, Uh, to bring it back full circle on this point, uh, we would expect Triskel or Triskely to be an animal companion. Yeah. But immediately, like within a matter of weeks, he's gone. And he's like, yeah, I saw him a couple more times where he would like come bounding up to me and and lick my hand. And that was it. And then we have Thecla introduced here. and, And we, we would expect a character like this to be a mentor figure for, for Severian in a, if this were a standard coming of age story. Uh, And I, obviously I'm not going to talk yet about what sort of role Thecla provides, whether she does become a mentor figure or, or if there's something different going on, but the fact that he introduces her and then we have several chapters before we really know what she's going to ultimately be in this story 
is another signifier of Wolf being aware of what readers will expect. And he's giving us the chance to build our expectations Mm. when we meet Thecla. And then he's like, and here's the circumstance where now he's going to be spending a lot of time with her, talking with her, learning from her. You know, the first thing they talk about is, you know, they're playing word games and, and they start talking philosophy and, and Severian's like, I'm too stupid to know this. And she's like, Oh no, you're, you're just as intelligent as anybody else, you know? And, and so we, we have the, signposts that she's going to be a wise mentor role for Severian, you know, in, in the sort of story that we would expect in a standard coming of age Mm. fantasy. I don't know. I'm not getting the real mentor vibes. I'm getting very, very strong Lara Wraith vibes myself as somebody who's just kind of just finished the, uh, the Dresden files for anybody (laughs) who understands that particular reference. I interesting. I'm getting, if I want to make my first prediction at all in this series ever, I'm going to say, I predict that Thecla is, is going to take very clear and conscious advantage of Severian's hormones and his teenage, uh, let's say awkward footedness. Um, and I do believe that she's going to bet him. I do believe she's going to take advantage of him and it's going to lead to massive issues in his life. And it's going to lead to a massive trust in, uh, I should say issue with trusting women in his life later. Okay. Interesting. Particularly beautiful women. (laughs) So that's my, that that's that. Those are the vibes I'm at right now as a very first time reader. Also, I have to pref, uh, not preface this. I should add the disclaimer, the caveat that I was half asleep when I was reading this. I was just going through. I had just, I'm blasting through Locklands right now for another episode we have coming up in a couple of days. And going back to this, I was almost asleep. So I kind of just like flew through this. I'm not paying particularly close attention. These are very knee jerk reactions you're getting out of me, everybody. But, you know, you're used to that. You've listened okay. to enough of these episodes if you're here with us. <laughs> but, yeah, those are the vibes I'm getting. I'm getting a lot wraith vibes from the dresden files with thecla yeah um and so sticking on this kind of idea of how being well read helps uh engage with the text in the book of the new sun and how wolf is being very deliberate in how he's constructing the story and playing with our expectations i think he even tells us a bit uh through Master Oltan, uh, when he's he's talking about his life and, and how he became master of the curators. Uh-huh. And, uh, he, you know, he says, my master was Gerbold, and for decades it appeared that he would never die. Year followed straggling year for me, and all that time I read. I suppose few have ever read so. Now, this is the part that I highlighted. I began, as most young people do, by reading the books I enjoyed but I found that narrowed my pleasure in time until I spent most of my hours searching for such books. Then I devised a plan of study for myself, tracing obscure sciences one after another from the dawn of knowledge to the present. And he, he goes on to talk about, you know, the details of the, the archives and mm. history and things like that. But I think this paragraph is important here because this is Wolf talking directly to his readers saying, Yes, read what what brings you joy, but understand that if you only read one kind of thing, it will narrow your view. It will narrow your engagement with texts. You will not have the the fullness of enrichment yes. from reading a book it, if you only read one kind of thing. 
Yes, and this is this is another issue I have as a reader. There is a very particular kind of book, a style of book, that I like to read. And if not for the Inking Out Loud podcast, I would still just be rereading those. I have read so many books on this podcast that I would never <laughs> have otherwise read. And I consider myself far more uh, capable as a reader, not just as a writer, but also still as a reader going forward. It's yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of validity to that. And it's not a note that I missed this time around. This was in chapter five. I think it was um, mm-hmm. right after he had uh, talked to the old man uh, cleaning the painting. I believe it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Rudescent. this exact passage you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Cause I remember also him saying my, my master was this name and I was going, wait a second. That's not the master's name. We just got, Oh no, this is a different dude. This is all right. This is not, that's right. We've moved on from this, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm paying attention to this <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point to make. Someone from, I mean, coming from someone like Gene Wolfe, that's something to take to heart. Oh, 100%. And you know he was widely read. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, um, so let's, uh, more stuff. yeah, style stuff. Uh, do you do you have anything here? You know Since I, I, I feel just, like uh, I've been kind of driving the ship no, no, so you're far. Good. I'm, uh, I actually had a specific style point. I can't find it, though, because it's lost in my notes here. I didn't have time to to sort them out. I just got home here. I'm still covered in welding char and sweat and rust, and I will <laughs> find it eventually. I don't think I'll find it right now. Um, Conference of good existence. Uh, or, oh, yeah, we have to talk about the lore dump that we got there. Uh, oh, we had, uh, this is actually kind of a stupid little aesthetic point. I don't think this is the one I was looking for, but this is kind of fitting in with style. We had parentheses inside spoken dialogue here. Uh-huh. What did you think of that? What's your take on that? I didn't like I it. it. I'm like, that's, that's, that's against the rules. You can't do that. Yeah, you can. It's an aside. It's like, like I'd be talking That's to you, you and then you I would use, stop and use the hyphen and right and like mutter something to somebody like next to me. It's it's not like That's what you, you know. It, it, sorry, go ahead. No, like so when I'm thinking about how I would construct a sentence, if I were going to use m dashes in it, it'd be like I'm talking directly to you, and then I I want to like briefly step aside and talk about something different, and then return to what I was talking about with you. The whole thing is between me and you. But if, if I'm talking to you and then something pops into my head that I want to tell person C over here, mm-hmm. I would use parentheses for that. I'd be like, hey, Rob, yeah, so we're no, talking about Book of the New Sun. Oh, would. by the way. I don't think you Lauren, would. You know, <laughs> if you were writing that scene. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly how I I've would write I've never, it. ever yeah. read another author doing that before. I've never read. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I've encountered this uh, parentheses inside spoken dialogue. If you're listening to this, mm-hmm. I want to know if you have read parentheses inside spoken dialogue outside Gene Wolfe, because <laughs> that it, it really took me back. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! That you can't do that, <laughs> Mister Gene Wolfe. Is this like an artistic expression, uh, breaking the fourth wall? Is he intentionally breaking the rules? What is he saying by breaking the rules here? I, I, I had not considered that this could just be an aside because I would have used the, like it's, I called it's it. It's not breaking any rules. That's the thing. There's no rule of grammar that says you can't have parentheses inside of quotation marks. I could have sworn there was, I could, I, I, yeah. I would have put money on the fact that there was not much, but I would have put like 10 or 20 bucks on it for sure. But this is, I I'm glad you brought this up though, because this is uh, one of those things that just impresses me about Wolf is how he uses the full breadth of English punctuation mm-hmm. to to write his stories. He does not spare the reader. Like, 
if, if he wants to do something and he has punctuation that allows him to do it, he will do it. Uh, that, that's why, you know, when we talked about on the last episode, how he gets these crazy complex sentences with, with, you know, multiple kind of like subjects and, and asides and everything going on it. He's, he's able to do it without making like just one giant Franken, you know, run on sentence mm. because he knows what he's doing with punctuation. He, he knows what well, he's yeah. doing yeah. with the, the pieces of the English language. Yeah. This is something we, we brushed on uh, during the last episode. I think I shouldn't say brushed on. I think we talked about this at length um, about the, mm-hmm. a, a lot of these uses of his commas and how a lot of these sentences will go on for 100, 200 words in some cases. And you're like, what's going on? Oh, no. And then it gets served up as this massive piece. And I, as a somewhat experienced reader, I'm, I'm already trained to be looking for the scenes, looking how it fits together, looking for where there surely has to be an error. And grammatically, there is none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like zooming in on a telescope, expecting to see the seam here, the seam here, the seam here, and there's nothing. It's just perfect and flawless. It's, it, it is kind of mind-boggling and a little bit intimidating. If I'm being honest, I'll be honest here. It's a little bit intimidating as a yeah, yeah. I think it's absolutely writer, intimidating, you know? but um, <laughs> it's intimidating and inspiring in equal measures. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, as, as soon as you brought up the uh, his use, not just of the of the words, but of the punctuation to get exactly what he wants to get down on that page, you're absolutely right. It just it just everything came screaming back about our, our commas conversation in the last episode. It's it's continuing. I want to know what he's going to do in this next episode. Is he going to put a question mark in the middle of a word? And I'm going to, like, what's, <laughs> what's he going to try next? Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to see what he's going to do next. <sighs> I love it. Yeah. Um, Triskelly. Mm, okay, yeah. So uh, do you have any other style things here? Uh, no, I don't believe I do. Shall we go on to characters? Uh, well, first let's talk language. Oh yes. Okay. Yes. This is something we're going to be continuing Uh, to do. Yeah. So do you, do you, did you write down anything that particularly stood out to you? (laughs) Did I ever? (laughs) Okay. I've got a few, you're asking which words I've learned this week, aren't you? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Okay. Carnificial. I could figure out that one from context. Yep, ceremonial yeah. but something to do with blood carnage yeah okay fooligan i've never heard fooligan or fooligan fooligan uh so i fooligan cloak i've heard it pronounced both fuligan and fooligan i like fuligan i'm not yeah i'm not exactly certain which one is the the proper one or if there is a proper if there's only one pronunciation mm-hmm. i know there are definitely words out there that have more than one acceptable pronunciation nomons g n o m o n s uh, uh, I still don't know. I haven't actually me, looked up any definitions to these words. Uh, I know the. Uh, it is a, a gnomon is a pillar, rod, or other object that serves to indicate the time of day by casting its shadow upon a marked oh, surface. Okay, Eratosthenes, got you. Okay, got you. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's see here. Inutile. Inutile facts. Uh, so uh, useless. Useless. Okay. It means useless. Uh, if you break that one down, it looks like a really weird word, but once you actually look at the pieces oh, of the word, Utah. it makes. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. That was actually great. Um, mm-hmm. see. Uh, but I want oh, to go back to Fulligan. <laughs> yeah, Fulligan. Here, go back to. I'm wanna... just like rattling them off here. You got me excited. Go ahead. Uh, 
So this is our, the first time we, we get reference to this. And he describes it as the color being blacker than black. Uh, and, and he talks about how he uses this Fulligan cloak to hide the fact that he is carrying a very large dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says, like, it, it works because this, this color is so dark that you don't see folds or, or creases or things in it. This is Vanta Black. Yeah, that's what I, that was immediately what I thought of. Was, this is Vanta Black. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You know, it's super yeah. cool. By the way, do you know how expensive Vanta Black is and how brittle? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's an amazing. <laughs> I mean, you got me on science. Don't get me on science, dude. Vanta Black is an amazing substance that is freaking nightmare to work with, from what I understand. But it's cool. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what it is, look it up. Vanta Black. It's awesome. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's see. Do, uh, any others? Oh, yeah. If, if uh, Let's see here. Oh, sorry. I do actually have more words uh, for sure. Um, let's see here. Yeah, <laughs> Pharmacon was one. Um, I imagine it has something to do with medication, uh, obviously, with yes. the Latin root of the word. Uh, I'd imagine mm-hmm. the Latin root of the word. Um, refulgent. Oh, that's... Uh, go, go back to the Pharmacon one. Pharmacon. Read, that, read that line. Oh, I didn't read that. I just wrote down Pharmacon in quotations with two question marks next mm. to it. What was that okay, line? You got me, next to me? I have my book. Uh, I can search in Word. I can find it in just a few seconds. I just have to grab it. It's across the room at the moment. Uh, let's see here. I think I just pronounced another word incorrectly that I'm going to have to get back to. Yeah. You know what? I might as well just have this book beside me for anything else we have to search up. Give me one second. I'm going to grab my book off my bed here. <laughs> my book. My okay. e-reader. All right. I, yeah. I can so, uh You got it? So Pharmacon, I have it. Okay. Um, so first off, the the uh, lexicon Earthus definition is just a medicine, drug, or poison. Uh, what? Uh, so like, that's that's one of those words that I think the vast majority of these crazy words you can figure out pretty easily through context. That's how I did with uh, yeah, yeah, the first one, uh, the carnificial. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But the the line when he uses the word Pharmacon is very interesting. Uh, Master, you know of the corpse eaters, surely. I have heard it said that by devouring the flesh of the dead, together with a certain pharmacon, (laughs) they are able to relive the lives of their victims. Yeah, 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 yeah. I caught that one. I can see that grin on your face right there, Drew McCaffrey. It is a very strange thing. And then they go off on this deep philosophical discussion about, you know, what, what a, the depth of a life and, and how a life is assigned to a body. And like, if you start breaking a body down into its constituent parts, does that, does that mean that each part has only a part of the life or does each part have the whole and, and we we get down to I I get a I get a crack out of Oltan's ultimate conclusion, where he talks about how um, descendants retain. He basically goes into genetics, uh-huh. uh, uh, but he says yet the seed of all of them was contained in a drachm of sticky fluid. Oh God! I, I, yep, I was gonna be like, what? Like a thimbleful? You old freak? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I, I definitely noticed that one. Although I had forgotten it, I think I had blanked it out until you brought it back. 
Mm-hmm. A few other questionable lines that are entertaining and interesting, <laughs> if a little gross. Yeah, but but this is this is kind of an example that that line about you know we're you know that I suppose that is why the depraved creatures who devour the bodies of the dead seek more you know and what what was the opening scene of this of this book? The opening scene of this book was a uh, not mm-hmm. on a heist, but they were trying to get into a uh, trying to they get were past stealing the game. a body from a grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the, also with that with the, with the particular contents, for lack of a better term, of that last line there. It really goes to show a lot about how about the uh, this could be like a little world building note as well that, that that it's so subtle and so carefully just thrown in there, but it goes to show a lot about their attitudes about men and women's roles in procreation. This all comes from this little sticky little thimbleful of whatnot, right? There's no mention mm-hmm. of women in there <laughs> at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this goes to show again a very male-dominated mindset, a very egocentric male-dominated mindset that runs this tower, and I imagine is going to cause problems for them in the future. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It is noteworthy that uh, so far, as we've been introduced to the ideas of different guilds, they're all gender segregated. The torturers are all men. The Bear Tower, the 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 Bear Guild, yeah. they're all men. That was the witches, all women. Yep, there's a few you little know. lines in there that had me going. Ugh. Oh yeah, with the that the the masters of the Bear Tower. Uh, yeah, before each animal handler takes a lioness or bear sow and shuns human women. After that, what the fuck? Yeah. Yep. Listen, um, well, I, this goes back to a rant that I had about Lara Wraith, actually. Listen, I've seen some very good-looking lionesses, but I wouldn't call them good-looking in that way, you sick freak. I just happened to be talking about Lara Wraith about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so it's, it's perfect because she was compared to a lioness as beautiful or something like as a lioness at that one point. I'm like, come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it kind of goes in line here with these animal handlers. I don't know. Um Oh yeah, a lot of different guilds that I want to know more about. This guild of uh, not chronology, guild of time. What is it that Valeria belongs to? Uh, so the courtyard outside of her family's tower is called the Atrium of Time. The Atrium of Time. Oh, that's okay. That's slightly different. Yes. Oh, okay. Still though, and the person I want to know a lot more about as well with Valeria, but that's for another time. I'm certain. Yeah. Uh, so now you understand. Um, speaking of Locklands. Uh-huh. Uh, why that name in uh, no, no, no. in the Founders trilogy? Like, I pronounced it a different way because I had read it here first. Yeah, but th- this is something <laughs> I actually had written down about Valeria here. Um, this was a very knee jerk reaction, but I was like, Va- I wrote Valeria in quotations, and I wrote SMH, like shake my head. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just I'm so tired <laughs> of hearing that name. We heard we heard it in Robert Jackson Bennett's trilogy. We've heard it in this one. We've heard Valeria uh, in in A Song of Ice and Fire. There's Valerian Steel with a Y, V A L Y, right? The Valeria from whatever. I, I'm not. Yeah, I. One, I it's a very common fantasy do, word. Sorry, go ahead. I do want to say like Valeria, not Valeria. Yeah, but it's so it's the same thing because you could also exchange E's for Y's depending on how certain accents go or Y's for E's. I'm not sure which which direction I'm going eh. there, but it's very similar. I consider it the same thing, but that's just me. 
Yeah, I don't like until you uh, on our like Foundry side episode until you brought up Valyrian steel and like old Valyria from A Song of Ice and Fire. It never crossed my mind to compare. So those if I words. came up with a character whose name was Valaria, that wouldn't strike any. You wouldn't go like, "Come on, dude." No, no, it's just another or Valoria. Name. Okay, yeah. Valyria <laughs> with, with an I. You gotta, you gotta come up with your fantasy name somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, my yeah, yeah. I'm setting a pretty high bar there. We um, fantasy, but anyway, things. go ahead. Uh, so on, on the subject of Valeria, let's, um, let's go to the lexicon Earthus and, <laughs> okay, let's, uh, there are three saints Valeria, the first century alleged mother of saints Gervais and Protes and wife of St. Vitalis, who may be fictitious, a virgin martyr who probably never existed. And one of a group believed to be contemporaries of Jesus Christ and among the early martyrs. Uh, yeah. So they're, they're in, in Catholic martyrology. Oh, wow. Uh, there are three saints Valeria and two of them may or may not have actually existed. I'm at the point where I'm going to have to start Googling every single new name that comes up on the page to find hidden connections that other people are getting. Ooh, I am going to not read the commentary on this name because that would spoil some things. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> Um, and and now I want to point out here. Uh, I consider spoilers a, uh, in the book of the new sun not as off limits as I would consider them in other things. Uh, the idea of spoiling the plot of the book of the new sun is is kind of antithetical to the book itself, since so early on Severian like tells us what his future is going to be like. Um, like we've already gotten references in the first yep. few chapters here to the fact that he's going to end up being the autark, yep. you know, throne that he backed and, into whatever the hell that means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that he, he's going to be exiled like the literally the first paragraph, you know, that the gate remains in my mind now is the symbol of my exile. You know, so there's a lot of, plot level stuff that Severian just comes out and tells us. But what I consider to be more spoilers are the kind of second level down of the text, the, the, the things that Wolf wants us to pick up on, on a reread, the things that he, he wants us to work at figuring out ourselves rather than just having Severian come out and tell us. So I have to respect that, uh, honestly, because I, I can yeah. see the temptation as a writer, particularly a writer of the skill of Gene Wolfe to want to re to reveal your hand, to show what you've been mm -hmm. doing instead of, you know, yeah, letting the yeah, it's, yeah. And that's why, like, for instance, in the last episode, I read the appendix from the end of the first volume, you know, where he talks about uh, the note on the translation, right? Uh and, and how he talks about the way he uses language. He has that as at the end of Shadow of the Torturer, but I don't really see that as a spoiler because that is something that is integral to the reading of this book, uh, especially if we're doing something like Inking Out Loud where we're really breaking down the, uh, the writing processes and storytelling methods. If, if we were just like reading this in a book club or something together, 
uh, or, or you were just reading yeah. it for the first time for fun, I wouldn't have told you about that appendix beforehand. Mm-hmm. But because we are reading this book the way we're and engaging with the text the way we are, I think it's necessary almost mm. to to be aware of that appendix at the start of the story. Coincidentally, that's actually how that's exactly how I explain this podcast to my coworkers, a bunch of whom are <laughs> not particularly sophisticated gentlemen, to put it diplomatically. You know, guys who are into car, loud cars, and to a lot of drugs and drinking and good times and rock and roll. They're not really into books a lot so when i when i tell them like for example today i was talking to a guy he's like oh i gotta, I gotta get home at the end of this 11 hour day i gotta do a i gotta spend a couple hours doing a pot my podcast again it's like what are you doing oh it's it's about just like a book of the month kind of thing or a book of the week club thing that we talk about that's how i explain this podcast to these guys um not not the kind of guys who are using words like marmorial no not these kinds of guys who are using <laughs> words uh like cabochon or Agathodemon or refulgent or refulgent? Yeah. Refulgent? Yeah. Refulgent? I had it right the first time? Bullshit. Yeah. Wow. Go me. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it's sorry. Just when when you had said book of the uh, book of the week, I was like, hey, that just, you know, struck a little chord here. Yeah. But yeah, back to this book. Oh, I forgot to mention this uh, way earlier. Um, I believe it might have been even during your recap. We got our first reference to the claw of the conciliator we did i also yes, know indeed note did. that you've been pronouncing it conciliator i believe and not conciliator conciliator oh you have been con- conciliator. conciliator where have i heard conciliator because yeah. i was like I normally it would be pronounced conciliator <laughs> that was my yeah. uh, bit of confusion there hmm. okay um mm-hmm. yes uh shall we go do you have any other style points or language points before we go into our characters i mean i still have a couple more words i i did just kind of exp- bring them all out right there but we could talk about them individually if you'd like um uh so i do but they're a good kind of bridge into character oh are they and and this is again something we're going to be visiting every week as we go through these books the the reliability or otherwise of severian as our narrator um more times in in this segment does he talk about his perfect memory. And then when he meets Thecla, uh, you know, she says, you're not wearing a mask. Yours is the first human face I've seen here. I'm only an apprentice. I won't be masked until next year. She smiled. And I felt as I had when I had been in the atrium of time and had come inside to a warm room and food. And he, he goes on to describe her. And then I'm sorry. I said, I didn't hear you. The smile came again, and she tilted her lovely head to one side. I told you how happy I was to see your face, and asked if you would bring my meals in the future, and what this was you brought me. No, no, I won't be. Only today, because Draught is occupied. I tried to recall what her meal had been. She had put the tray on her little table, where I could not see its contents through the grill. Whoa. I could not, though I nearly burst my brain with the effort. Whoa. Well, a bit of a contradiction there that once again I did not pick up on until Drew explained it. Thank you so much for continuing to fill that hole. So t- twice in in the span of a couple of paragraphs, he forgets. He he forgets what she says to right. him because he's so busy like basking right. in her beauty. For, yeah, and then and then he forgets what's on the tray of food okay. that he just handed to so her. So from now on. 
every time I hear <laughs> Severian mention that he is unable to recall something or accurately recall something, I'm going to go back one page and see what he was saying before that, because there's going to be a contradiction from 30 seconds earlier. This is what I'm learning <laughs> now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. And continue. Please continue to point those out, because I, I missed that one again. Yeah. And so so this brings us to the, the character of Severian. Yes, let's. And again, oh boy. you know, the, the focus of his character in these chapters is there's an even more intense focus on his coming of age. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, we, we got in the first three chapters, it was a lot of, you know, groundwork. It was a lot of foundation building. And now we're starting to get into Severian's growth as a human being that he is reaching new milestones in his life. He's, you know, he's been given, responsibility over other people he is uh in in yet another way about to become a man so to speak Mm. um it's it's very character focused and and this is again like kind of this bridge back to style uh everything that's been going on in these early chapters flies like directly in the face of what we generally consider to be a necessary way to craft a story. Um, We don't really know what Severian wants. We don't know what his goals are. We don't know what the conflict really is. We have, we've had a little bit of hints of some larger conflict between Vodalus and the Autark. We, we know through some secondhand things that the Autark is trying to you know, put pressure on Vodalus because Vodalus's lover is Thecla's sister. And, you know, and so by sending her to the torturers, he's hoping that Vodalus will, you know, acquiesce to his wishes or whatever. We know there's some conflict going on, but we don't really see how Severian is involved in it. Other than the fact that Severian has convinced himself that he's involved in it, but he doesn't, he doesn't know anything about Vodalus. Every time he hears the name, he's like, ooh, ooh, what, what do you know about yeah, Vodalus? Because cool, he doesn't dude. know anything, yeah. you know? So there isn't, there isn't the standard, like, character motivation and plot set up through the first eight chapters of this book that we would be used to in something like Mistborn or the Stormlight. I mean, think about, think about how Mistborn opens, right? We, we are immediately given the, the social uh, dynamics of this world that there is the Lord ruler and, and the nobles. And then there's an oppressed underclass and our main characters are from the underclass and they're championing them, right? Like we have stakes, we have a conflict, we have character motivations from basically page one here. We're on what, like in, in my paperback, we're on page 62 of a, I mean, it's a short book, like 200, 210, 62 to 210. We're about a third of the way in. And we don't really know what Severian, like why is Severian writing this account of his life? You know, like what's the conflict here? What, what is, what does he want? But the way Wolf writes it, as this puzzle, as this world to, to peel back the layers on and figure out as we're following Severian, it doesn't feel like you're lost in some like narrative quagmire. It feels like there's purpose to it, even though you don't know what the purpose is. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like we're 60 pages in and there's been one action scene on page three. That's not what it's about. That's I, like, exactly. Look at who's speaking right now. Listen to, listen to me, Rob Santo speaking the listener right now. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm into. You know what kind of action I generally require, what kind of stimulus I require to keep myself totally invested in a story. Cause I'm, I'm that kind of reader. I'm a popcorn reader. I, you know, I am completely 100% engrossed in this and you're absolutely right. We have not had much action, much spectacle yet. We've had a lot of questions and that also keeps me mm-hmm. going. Um, but yeah, it's 100% doing it for me. I mean, with Severian himself, you had, you had also asked me the last episode how I feel about Severian as a character, morally, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much, even if I don't agree with how much is still excusable. And I just had further reason to double down this on in this episode because we had a moment that stuck out to me. And this is when he was talking to Valeria. I think this is when he had, yeah, this is when he met her for the first time. We have not had multiple Valeria scenes yet, have we? Valeria, I should say. No. Okay. No. Um, she asks him about the Tower of Torment. And he, and I have the mm-hmm. quote here. There, she said to him, there was supposed to be a Tower of Torment too, where all who enter die in agony. And then Severian goes on to tell us, I told her that at least, sorry, I told her that at least was a fable. So he's aware. Mm-hmm. He's aware enough to be embarrassed or mm-hmm. to not want to reveal that bit of information. He's aware enough to at least attempt to hide it from somebody who he's just meeting. So that goes to show that he's, for me, that goes to show that he interprets this in the same way that a lot of people normally would. That this is a very horrendous lifestyle to lead. And I, 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 I don't know. Fascinating. I read that very differently Did you? from you. Okay. I read that as Severian not putting two and two together and not realizing that what she's calling the Tower of Torment is the Matachin Tower. Okay, so this could be like, not a mistake, lost in translation, perhaps. Yeah. Fascinating. That's also fascinating because that has a world-building aspect and a a further secrets aspect that I would love to see delved into. Of course, you have a lot more future context than I do, so I'm starting to think, hmm, I'm zeroing in Uh, on this. No, that... That was that was my impression of the scene from the very start, okay. uh, from the first time I read it. Um, but I, I think this goes to show, uh, because Severian is an unreliable narrator in this way, the way you read the book is going to... Sorry, this is going to sound really dumb, but I'll explain. <laughs> the way you read the book Go is going to influence the way you read the book. If you get off on the wrong foot, if your opinion of Severian is negative from the start, when you read things like this that could be interpreted multiple different ways, mm-hmm. you are going to tend to take the more negative outlook on the, the more negative interpretation. You're going to it's going to reinforce your it's opinion. Be an observation of bias. Yeah, and whereas I I tended to uh, be a little more sympathetic to Severian on my first read through, so I read this in a way that. It did not reflect negatively on him as a person. Hmm. Interesting. And th- this is not the only instance that there's going to be something like this that pops up there. In fact, there are some things in the next few episodes that uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to ask you or not, because I wasn't sure if it was going to be a fruitful conversation, but now I absolutely good, will good, good, good. Uh, to ask. see if, if your uh, less than, less than friendly opinion of Severian is going to influence the way you interpret some scenes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. 
<laughs> Excellent. Um, Are there any other characters that we really deserve well, talking about? Like, I'm not quite level? done with Severian. Okay, uh, I, I did have another question. Okay. So you said this this segment just kind of made you double down on your negative opinion. His his uh, kindness toward Tricol didn't sway you at all. No, but I have to admit that is not. I have to admit that that's because I'm very cynical of animals in fantasy and in TV shows and in movies. I find that they're all, I'm of the opinion that they're all often used for blind like points. And I'm immediately always on the lookout for, you know, take for example, uh, example. Wow. You're going to see why I said that in a second. <laughs> Jack Reacher. I was going to say example, Jack Reacher. Take for example, um, the first episode of the new Amazon series, Jack Reacher, where in the first episode, he saves a dog and he beats on a dog owner, right? Because he, this dog was being neglected merely because this dog was mm-hmm. being neglected. And I stopped and I pulled myself out of that scene and going, he did just trespass on this guy's property and beat him up because he interpreted that this dog was being neglected. Like I find that an- whenever I see an animal that's overtly used to gain sympathy, to draw sympathy from the reader, I immediately kind of compartmentalize it. And this is a weakness of mine that I have as a reader. I think it's a, hmm. it's an assumption that I form too hastily. I, I compartmentalize this as, Oh, this is for sympathy points. And I kind of, soften myself against that morally. I put up this wall. I should say I harden myself. I don't really allow it to influence me too much. But this is one whole 100% probably just a um, neuroticism I have as a reader <laughs> somehow in, in, well, in the way I interpret things. I don't think you're wholly wrong to be cynical about it. because Cynical of animals. There, there definitely are. There definitely are. Um instances where it, it comes across as like a, a cheap you know cheap points for the right. for so or against a character in a lot of, char- in a lot but of here cases, i think I it's a, a little yeah. different yeah it's and it probably very it's, well is yeah it's more like it's more uh showing us an unexpected side of severian mm-hmm. um it's not like oh i want to make sure you really love this guy look at what a good guy he is it's it's just complicating Severian as a character. I I think the fact that he's showing these healing tendencies in, in conscious opposition to the way he's been raised. I mean, when he's treating Tricycle, when he's, you know, skulking around and sneaking food and things like that, he's actively thinking about like how, you know, I went back down. I was hoping he'd be dead, but mm. he wasn't. Yeah. You know, and, and he's thinking about how he's he shouldn't be doing this. This yeah. this isn't and that didn't what he wants to be doing. But he's like, uh, I, uh, my older self, my my or my younger self rather, uh, my past self, the child in me would be ashamed of myself now if I didn't do this. I have a quote here. And yet I could not let him die because it would have been a breaking of faith with something in myself. So I interpreted Mm -hmm. it like something there too. I said, what faith? Not to the faith, not to give up on this. Like what, what are you talking? Okay. So this makes a little more sense if you're talking about um, how he interprets his true identity and and what still remains of that kid inside of him, because there is this, this huge note of, of transition into adulthood and coming of age. So that does bear, it definitely deserves uh, consideration. And there's also a note, and I have to, again, I have to admit this. Um, it could just be something that I, I, I have a very short attention span myself, and I just could be something that I just <laughs> willfully ignored because it didn't jive with 
this presupposed, I suppose, bias I have, uh, thinking that he's just going to be bad because of his involvement with the Tower of Torment, as I now have a name for it, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I am very cocked and loaded and ready to hate him. So I am going to be... It, it's because of conversations like this, I'm thankful. I will have the uh, the context, like maybe take sure. an extra step back through these scenes in the future and find myself... If I find notes where I'm really not liking Severian, I'll try and find... Um, more reasons. I mean, to there, be open to... he he absolutely will give you reasons oh, to hate yeah, him good. as oh, well. I'm as sure you will. Like I'm sure. But I'm also <laughs> certain if you hadn't brought this up, there may have been uh, times when he gave us reason to consider, and I would mm-hmm. have just glossed over it because of my presupposed notions. So yeah, I'm going to try and, and keep a, a bigger eye on this. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so that was the last note I had on Severian character wise. Um, I don't really have any other character notes uh beyond what we've already talked about with thecla yeah Mm -hmm. um my my kind of theory of her as a a mentor um i mean we know for sure that she is going to be a an important figure because he outright tells us um uh, where is it at the end of chapter six I gathered up the books and hurried along, though I did not know it, to meet my destiny and eventually myself in the th- in the Chatelaine Thecla. Chatelaine, I love the word. I love the French root of the word. Yes, yeah, I know. I'm doing like a hard ch, like a ch. Oh, was, of a that wasn't done done to correct. But, oh, yeah, I guess yeah, I could come yeah. off of that though. Yeah, I... uh, but yeah, the uh, it's. Uh, you are correct. That that's definitely a French. Uh, let me see if I can pull up. Well, a chateau would be um, house or household. Yeah. So chateau lane would be like mistress of the house. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The lady of a chateau. Yeah. I didn't even look that um, one up. <laughs> I have enough. I do have enough French for that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I don't know, but like it, it, it's one of those things that you don't really need to know the definition of the word to understand the way it's being used in this world. Mm. Right. Like you, you get it straight away. This is a title for a noble woman, you know, the, of the highest class. Yeah, you know, we, we meet a couple of armagers, right. When the, he's, yeah. <laughs> when he's going down the hallway and he meets these two men who are like really snobby and rude to him. And, and they're described as armagers. And then he has a conversation about the armager class and how they're like kind of useless middle-class nobles and then who are not at the level of exultants and chatelaines are female exultants, mm. you know? So I love, I still love the, the use of exultant. That's such a badass word. Yeah. That's a great, great yeah. word for, for your high end noble class. So good. Yeah. God, the language in this is just so great. I love it. Um, you could have given me a pen and a paper in 20 years in a room. I would not have been able to come up with a word like exalted. No. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, like you said, reading Wolf is intimidating. Like it is extraordinarily edifying. It's, I have a great time doing it, but, but yeah, it's like you, you stop and think every once in a while and you're like, I will never be this good. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but that's yeah. and and look it's exciting okay. though it's exciting though because it pushes the boundaries of what you would have thought possible in a way not to say that mm-hmm. you can achieve anything you think is possible but or maybe you can depending on your opinion but it's it's, it's still <laughs> exciting to be shown that there are depths to which you did not know things could go 
Mm-hmm. For for someone mm-hmm. for, for 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 readers like us, that is something that I've, a lot of times I've been talking about our distinctions, our differences. But this is something that you and I have in common. We do have this joy of exploring and breaking yeah. down the pieces, and coming and and having an author like Gene Wolfe for situations exactly like this make it so make it just it, it synchronicity. It it it's perfect. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we do have some miscellaneous. Do you have any miscellaneous points? Yeah, I do have a few. Let's do it. We got some lore. We got some lore here. Um, I have no way of knowing how old those tunnels are. I suspect, though, I can hardly say why that they antedate the citadel, ancient though it is. It comes to use from the very. Wait, hold on. I think I must have mistyped this. It comes to use from the very end of the age when the urge to flight, the outward surge mm-hmm. that sought new suns, not ours, remained. Though the means to achieve that flight were sinking like dying fires. Remote that time is from which hardly one name is recalled. We still remember it. I loved that. I loved that. That is so cool. Yeah. And I want more about this age. I want more of that. Um, we get some some more uh, tidbits describing the Matachin tower and revealing that it is in fact mm-hmm. a spaceship yeah, 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 uh, yeah. in, we have a, a pretty extensive breakdown of master Gurlow's the man. And he talks about how he has this compulsion to toward the sun, the, this compulsion toward light because he lives such a dark life. Uh-huh. Um, and he says, sometimes he went to the top of our tower above the guns and waited there talking to himself, peering through glass said to be harder than flint. He was the only one in our guild, Master Palemon not accepted, who was unafraid of the energies there and the unseen mouths that spoke sometimes to human beings and sometimes to other mouths in other towers and keeps. Yep, chapter 7, and it was page 17 of 28 in my e-reader. Yes, I had this exact same quote. Mm -hmm. That one was intriguing. Uh, and then this same passage has again a like a little bit of Gene Wolfe's humor coming through it, when he he starts going into a a more straightforward description. You know, he ate too much and too seldom, read when he thought no one knew of it, and visited certain of our clients, including one on the third level, to talk of things none of us eavesdropping in the corridor could understand. His eyes were refulgent, brighter than any woman's. He mispronounced quite common words. Urticate, salpinx, bordero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Wolf Wolf just being like, yes, quite common words. Yes, he, he mispronounced <laughs> these basic things. I, I tell you what, I yeah. didn't recognize any of those words. I looked at them and I immediately assumed those aren't words. Those, he's just making those up. Uh, so, I think... Elsewise, they would have featured on my is, list. is... St- I think it needs to sting. Those me. are not actually words. Are they seriously? Yeah, no, they're they're all words. I mean, bordero is French, right? Yeah, well, yeah it's E A U at the end. It doesn't mean it's French. Is yeah. that seriously a French? I I would. Oh my god! So. Let if me these look are up actually words. That's I'm going pretty to sure urticate means to sting. Uh, urticate does mean to sting, as or like a nettle, to affect with a tingling pain or stinging sensation, or to flog with fresh stinging nettles, also to flagellate or to whip. All right, uh, Bordero. Bordero. You're blowing my mind right now. I did not think these were actually words. Yeah, he does not make up words here. Oh, like, you had are... mentioned that. Now that you had mentioned that, 
Uh, yes, um, right. You said that last episode. I believe. In French, it is a memorandum or detailed statement or schedule. Wow. And then Salpinks. Let's see what Salpinks is, because I have no idea what Salpinks is. I did, did, no. <laughs> Wait, hold on. You're uh, from the hold on. From the Lexicon Earth. Okay, but this isn't. This is a still ostensibly in-world thing. No. No? No. No? Oh, I thought it the was The Lexicon Earthis is a book written by a fan of the Book of the New I Sun. I that part. Who, who did extensive research to find the real world oh, origins okay. of every word and name he uses the, in this. I missed the second half yeah. of that second sentence. A salpinx is an ancient Greek trumpet. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, or, or the, uh, also referred to as as salpinks are the trumpet-shaped eustachian tubes connecting the inner ear to the throat and the fallopian tubes con- connecting ovaries to uterus. Whoa, did not know that. I mean, obviously, I didn't know this yeah. word, but I mean, like, I didn't know it had alternate <laughs> I, I assume that, yeah, so it's it's about the shape of the, the trumpet. Okay. It is similar to the shapes of these tubes in human anatomy. Got you. Yeah. So I knew one of those three words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we still got more world building too, or more ancient mystery. Oh yeah. The, the painting that Broski is cleaning at the uh-huh. yeah, showed an armored figure standing in a desolate landscape. It had no weapon, but held a staff bearing a strange stiff banner. The visor of this figure's helmet was entirely of gold without eye suits or eye slits, sorry, or ventilation. And then semicolon in its polished surface, the deathly desert could be seen in reflection and nothing more. Got an astronaut here, bro. <laughs> we do have an astronaut and I'm pretty sure I'm going to have Danny do this as the thumbnail for this. Oh, episode. that would be cool. That would be really cool. <laughs> I hope that'd be simple for it too. I imagine it would be mostly. Yeah. It's, it's the lunar landing. Yep. It's, I, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, one other thing, I, I, I may have misinterpreted this, or this may just be a stupid scientific thing that has like a... Because I, I, I like to occasionally bitch about science, because that's what I do. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> maybe there's something magical that happened, and there's, there's, there's another explanation for this, or I could just go... I can just roll with it. But the moon is green with vegetation now, first off. Yes. And second, and... Um, I had the quote here. It didn't seem too big either, and they, they were talking about the ancient days because it wasn't so close in. So this this makes the the assumption that the moon is moving closer to the Earth, but that's not at all what's happening. It's moving farther away from the Earth. So if this were ostensibly, uh, I think the the Im, uh, implication here is that with far future technology, humanity moved the moon closer. I would love to have that explanation. I would, if that's the case, I as, just want to hear as a, part of this terraforming endeavor. Right. So. If that's yeah. the case, and I, w- I would love that to be the case, I'm in. I'm, okay, I totally. I'm on that train now. I still want to just have like some offhanded reference, even if I have to dig really deep to find it. I just do want an offhand reference to that because that would completely tie that up for me, and that would be the closure I want. So, okay, that's just me. Yeah. Um. Uh, I I will say, I, I do not expect a whole lot of like concrete closure on details. Yeah. Oh, like damn it. one of the things that Wolf loves doing is giving us mysteries and just enough hints to figure out what's going on in the mystery without outright telling us. The you answer. know what? If they've managed to put a damn atmosphere and enough pressure on the moon, I can buy that the moon has moved <laughs> a little closer. I can buy that. I'm going to yeah. take everything back <laughs> yeah. that you said, everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, this goes back to that. Uh, the uh, thing it. I feel like I brought this up on the last episode and now I'm forgetting. I think it's Arthur C. Clarke who, who had the, 
the kind of maxim that uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable yeah, yeah. from magic. Yeah. So it's like, it really doesn't matter if it's magic or tech. They did it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm on this train now. I like it. We got this reference yeah. to this book of gold that captures mm-hmm. young children in such a way that the librarians like claim them after that. That sounds creepy. Uh, do you think that's a literal or a metaphor? You just blew my mind. That was, <laughs> that was one, sorry, that was like two and a half seconds of me realizing that Drew just blew my mind. Interesting. I think that's a metaphor that, you know, cause he talks about how, um, after a child finds the book of gold, even if they leave the library, they are forevermore in the library, even when they go home. And, and it's like, you can read that as they're, they're so enamored with a book that their mind will forever be drawn back to the library and they won't care about anything else. That's amazing. I love that. Inter- there could be, that. there could be a more literal magical explanation no, 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 that no, no, there no. is this like, forget that. I love your interpretation of that. <laughs> That's, I'm yes. Okay. Okay. Sweet. Cool. <laughs> I'm really excited now. Um, see here any more miscellaneous i'll give you a chance to throw one in before i find another one uh we get our first reference to father inire inire yes uh now let me let me find the um uh Uh, yes, now I have traveled much farther from our tower, but I have found always that the pattern of our guild is repeated mindlessly, like the repetitions of Father Inire's mirrors in the House Absolute. The House Absolute, yes. Oh, we got a lot of information about the House Absolute, which is a a big old mystery at this point. (laughs) A lot of information about this thing that's a big old mystery. Kind of oxymoronic, but I like it. Much is in in these books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Let's see here. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, well, let's let's talk about this this statement that Severian makes with much authority here. Okay. Uh, where where he says, "I have found always that the pattern of our guild is repeated mindlessly, like the repetitions oh, of Father yeah. Inure's mirrors in the House Absolute." I had an issue with this. In the societies of every trade, so that they are all of them torturers, just as we. His quarry stands to the hunter as our clients to us, those who buy to the tradesmen, the enemies of the commonwealth to the soldier, the governed to the governors, men to women, all love that which they destroy. Badass line a, to wrap up on. But still. Uh, I mean, yeah, but uh, woo. Um, it's a hot that's take. quite a statement. That's a hot take yeah. from Severian. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will admit that I had to parse those individually several times afterwards to see how I felt about them. Yeah, I mean, there are some really disturbing implications mm-hmm. here. Uh, like, obviously, we know Severian is not well-adjusted when it comes to women. No. What uh, but the implication to this is that uh, men torture women, yep. that mm-hmm. this is a universal maxim that men torture women, and that men must destroy women if they love them. Like, that's... Amongst many that's other a, things. A, a jaundiced <laughs> That's just one uh, part worldview. of that sentence. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it, it gets more disturbing as it goes on. Like it starts off as like, you know, his quarry stands to the hunter as our client's stuff. And you're like, yeah, that, there's that's an fair. You know, capitalism with those who buy to the tradesmen. You're like, those who buy yeah, to the tradesmen. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. 
and then the enemies of the Commonwealth of Soldiers. You're like, okay, yeah, I could kind of see that. And then the governed to the governors. Yeah, you're like, that's wait, like, okay, a that's very uh, <laughs> anarchistic <laughs> to put it diplomatically. Yeah, I don't know. And and then it ends with the most disturbing of all: men to women, all love that which they destroy. It's like that's one of the things that it's easy to get sucked into the language and the flow of the sentences and read something in the book of the new sun and just like take it for granted. And then you stop and you realize what Severi just said. You're like, Whoa, dude, pump the brakes. Like, <laughs> yep. yeah. Absolutely. And, and like that sentence in itself could act as a, as the proverbial slippery slope where you can find yourself agreeing with what it sets out with. Uh huh. And kind of just gloss uh-huh. over the rest and, and, and kind of miss the fact that it changes rather drastically and rather sharply and, and goes on many ups and downs and, you know, ob- over obstacles throughout that sentence. It's, 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 I don't know. I had to stop and, and pick that one apart about four times, I think. And it, yeah, yeah it, it definitely left me a little, um, I don't know, uncertain. Well, there's a lot that's leaving me uncertain about, about Severian, but it's just one of them. Mm-hmm. Although I did, I did mm-hmm. appreciate the bit of authenticity, the, the childish authenticity, and some, you know, uh, I have the quote here at the very end of our uh, reading for this week. In the hope of discovering whether he had visited our destination before, I asked where Echopraxia lay. I'm just like, come on, Severian, you can just say it. It's us. You're nervous about the brothel, dude. You don't have to come up with this reason yeah. because of this very particular uh, sophisticated and esoteric reason to be asking this question just because I want more information. Just come out and say it. You're nervous about this. But again, this goes a lot into how he is filtering this information and this storytelling to us as the reader because he's very conscious of this, obviously. But yeah. it made me laugh. I was like, that's a very, very teenager thing to do. To just mask your insecurity <laughs> with a seemingly alternate uh, motive, you know? Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, juvenile and genuine. Speaking of, yeah? speaking of uh, the echopraxia. The echopraxia. So that is the name of a specific brothel yep. in the Algidonic Quarter. It's a badass blah, name blah. as well. Um, that word means the habit of repeating the actions of others as if echoing them, mimicry or imitation. Oh, I had, oh, and and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next week. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, do you have any other miscellaneous points, no, or I shall have... we go into our? It's like I I don't remember if we like formalized this last week, but I think we should do like a passage of the week or line Ooh. of the week. Ooh. Where each of us like picks like our favorite sentence or passage from the the selection. I have a sentence definitely to propose, but uh, if you have a passage, right. go right. for it. I do. So I I love the one that I kind of let off the episode with talking about um, you know there are things which change nothing, and he describes mm-hmm. the way the sun is glinting off the icicles and all that. I think that's beautiful, but in a different way. This was my favorite. Gerlos was one of the most complex men I have known because he was a complex man trying to be simple. Not a simple, but a complex man's idea of simplicity. Just as a courtier forms himself into something brilliant and involved, midway between a master, a dancing master and a dip- diplomacist, with a touch of assassin if needed, so Master Gerlos had shaped himself to be the dull creature a pursuivant or bailiff expected to see when he summoned the head of our guild, and that is the only thing a real torturer cannot be. 
Boom. That Gerlos is a man of contradictions. And I love the metaphor where he describes him uh, in relation to a, a courtier forming himself into a, you know, being a social chameleon and, and, yeah. and mastering the things that he needs to do and, and comparing the way Master Gerlos has to act in order to be perceived as unthreatening in order to be perceived as both unthreatening and intimidating because he has to be the head of the guild. Right. You know, and, but, but we see the way people outside the guild treat the torturers. So he has to play into their expectations, even though he's much more than that. And of course, after this is when he goes on to talk about how the strain showed though, every part of Gerlo's was as it should have been. None of the parts fit. He drank heavily and suffered from nightmares but he had the nightmares when he had been drinking as if the wine, instead of bolting the doors of his mind threw them open and left him staggering about in the last hours of the night, trying to catch a glimpse of a sun that had not yet appeared, a sun that would banish the phantoms from his big cabin and permit him to dress and send the journeymen to their business. That was one sentence, by the way. Yeah, that was, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, so that that's my choice. That's my passage for this week. Excellent. I had, I mean, I had just written down, you know, a few which I've gone through as well. Uh, they were just sentences, but I do have this last one to wrap up on. I believe, looking at the context and trying to picture it, I, this would have been about Triskele, <laughs> the dog, okay. um, describing the kind of life that this dog had clearly led, and the abuse mm. he clearly suffered and survived through. His very name had been washed away in his own blood. Yeah. Oh my god, that line. What a... Oh my god, that line. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, it blew me away. They're like, there, there, there are... Yeah, there are so many of these just sprinkled throughout... There really are. And I, and I love every one of them. And I'm really excited that we are going to be doing this particular segment for pretty much every single episode going forward. And we're going to be yeah. – I love – you know what the, the cherry on the icing on the cake is, Drew? The fact that we're going What's to be that? struggling to pick which one we want to speak. I know. I know. Because there are going <laughs> to be so many more that we just can't bring up because we would have to extend these episodes into five hours long. And we who wants to do that, yeah. right? So. Yeah, just have like a three-hour segment of us just reading the book out loud. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that wraps up uh, our discussion of chapters four through eight. But, of course, we have the final draft. We do. What are you drinking? So, I'm drinking something a little bit special. Um, lately, I've had a, a few good things lining up in my life. I've managed to just recently pay off all of my debt. I, I got a bunch of taxes taken care of. I paid everything else off that I'd been owing. My student loan has been wiped out and everything like that. I, I'm, I've got some money in the bank. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, school's going good. Work's going good. Uh, my, my, my application process for other jobs has been going good. And because my sobriety had just been going so good, I managed to pass my two-month mark. I decided it's time to celebrate with a nice bottle of scotch. So I went and got something a little bit for me. This is a few days ago. Um, I opened it for this episode. Um as a small celebration, I'm going to be drinking this, I think, in celebration with our next episode as well. More on that later. But I'm drinking a Dalwini 15-year-old hmm. scotch, a single malt island uh, scotch whiskey. It's very nice. It cost me about 120 quid here in Canadian dollars. Nice bottle of whiskey. Um, 
splash of water, which is fair, not even a splash. Even a splash is, is too much for how much I put in this. Just a few drops of water uh, and about a, a half a glass here. Sips very nicely. I've been sipping it very quietly here. It really has a kick, but it's like a very nice, van I don't want to say, not even vanilla kick. It's like a, almost like a caramel kick. It's, it's very subtle. It's got a lot of, I'm reading the description. It claims to have a lot of pear. Um, Interesting. I didn't really pick up on a lot of that. Medium body, light, fruity palette. Whiff of he okay, heather. I can. I definitely got some of the heather. Although I, that's that's only because I've been washing my clothes with some leather or leather heather uh, refreshing scented stuff. Um, but it's it it has been very nice. It's a very nice sipping scotch. This is like I said. I'll repeat it. A Dalwini, fifteen year old. I broke. I was sixty eight days sober, and then I cracked open this container, and it's. It's uh, it's paying for itself. It's been a it's been a fun podcast. Although I have been rambling a little more than normal, so I gotta <laughs> keep that in check. But that's what I've been drinking—a nice Dalwini 15. What about you, dude? Nice. Well, I have been drinking some delicious uh, Martinelli's sparkling apple cider with a splash of watermelon juice in it. It's very tasty. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I have a beer to talk about, and this one is from Harvest Moon Brewery in New Jersey. This is a an Imperial IPA. Uh, I I have not had a chance to drink this one yet because I'm still uh, still going dry these days. But the uh, I'm I'm going to enjoy drinking it when I have the opportunity to do For so. Sure. Uh, whenever I decide to go back to that. Uh, 8.8% ABV. So it's gonna have a nice Nice aggressive kick, I yeah. assume. It's going to be bold. Um, but uh, this one is called Lunar Landing. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A few more pieces just clicked into place now for references throughout this episode. Okay. I love it. I really respect it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cheeky. It's, uh, That's cheeky. It's pretty good. Pretty good. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh I, I think this is going to be episode 175 of the Inking Out Loud podcast, mm. maybe 174, will depend on what we do myself. with the uh, the Locklands episode. Um, but as always, if you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud to get all kinds of fun benefits there. Uh, next up, we are going to be covering chapters 9 through 13 of Shadow of the Torturer. So we're plugging on through. We're going to be a little less than halfway through the book after that. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun because there's some fireworks ahead. Oh, yeah. And okay. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to have some really fun stuff in this next segment. But, uh, but yeah, as always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yo, right here. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.